Do you know anything about the name behind Cabell? Um, I mean, like, considering this is UVA, I can kind of, like, guess who Cabell, like, Cabell's character. But I also know that the buildings were originally not supposed to be there, and then they were built so that you couldn't see, um, like, a community of free black people that was, like, in view sight of the lawn. student-produced podcast about the memorial to enslaved laborers and the legacy of slavery at the University of Virginia. I'm your host, Ashley Thompson. In this episode, I'll take you on a tour of some of the buildings on grounds at UVA, investigate their namesakes, and explore what it means for the university today. The year is 1817. Charlottesville, a sleepy town in the center of Virginia, is bustling with the beginning of construction of what will soon become the renowned University of Virginia. While Thomas Jefferson is credited with founding the university, you wouldn't find him physically building any of the structures. Instead, he surveys the construction of the university while freed and enslaved laborers work tirelessly to bring Jefferson's vision to life. The university opens in 1825 with the lawn and the rotunda at the center of campus life. While many new buildings have been constructed since then, the foundational structures have stood the test of time. Now, UVA is renowned for the beauty of its campus and the Grecian architecture featured in many of its central buildings. But the people these structures are named after? They're slave owners, racists, and critics of social and political equality. They don't represent the values the university prides themselves on today. Regardless, these buildings are a major part of university life. They are the sites of many essential student activities like class discussions, club meetings, and study sessions. Even after spending a lot of time in these places, many students don't know the history of the buildings or the stories of the people behind them. Today, I'm going to take you on a tour of the university and explore the real history of these spaces we interact with so often, starting in the heart of grounds, the lawn. It's just after one, and I'm currently standing on the lawn right in front of the rotunda. The rotunda is a massive structure at the peak of the lawn that commands the attention of everyone that passes by. As I turn my back to the rotunda, I can see the entirety of the lawn lined by the rooms and pavilions that make up Jefferson's original academical village. There's quite a bit of activity here right now. There are many students studying, enjoying food, or just chatting with their friends on the lawn.
From the rotunda, I walk down the lawn, and I'm here now at Cabell Hall. The students here walk with purpose, as this building is a popular classroom location. How much time do you spend in either Old Cabell or New Cabell? None. Have you ever spent time in there? Yes. For classes. Well, I have a class twice a week in New Cabell, but I don't spend really any time in Old Cabell. New Cabell, maybe like an hour every other week and then old cavil this year like zero time but second year maybe like a few hours a week like in the old music library and what has brought you to those buildings um honestly just one of my friends really likes the music library and then in new cavil i have classes yeah do you know anything about the name behind the building no. Considering this is UVA, I can kind of, like, guess. I have no idea. I'm assuming it was a guy who went to UVA, maybe an old professor. But I also know that the buildings were originally not supposed to be there, and then they were built so that you couldn't see, um, like, a community of free black people that was, like, in view sight of the lawn. While Thomas Jefferson originally wanted the rotunda to have an unobstructed view of the mountains, the open space had to be sacrificed to build more classrooms. In 1895, the university filled in this area with the building we now know as Cabell Hall. A not-so-accidental side effect of this construction was that the new building, both visually and physically, separated the university from a free black community commonly referred to as Canada. Why was the community given this name? Well, the name highlighted the alienation of freed black people from having full rights as Americans. Nearly half a century later, New Cabell was built right next to Old Cabell, where it still stands today. These buildings are named after Joseph Carrington Cabell, who played an important role in the legal founding of the university alongside Thomas Jefferson. He served around 30 years on the Board of Visitors and was a major influence during the university's first few years. During this time, UVA directly reflected the South's ideals. The school owned enslaved laborers who lived on campus and maintained the university, but students were not allowed to bring their own servants to campus. Since most students came from a background of slave-owning families, they began to act like they were the masters of the university's enslaved people. The laborers were regularly harassed and abused, but typically little to no punishment was given to the offending students. In 1829, a student was caught sexually harassing an enslaved worker late at night, but the only consequence received by that student was a scolding. The reason the board gave was the lack of evidence, quote, but that of a slave. The so-called Southern values of the university at the time go hand-in-hand hand with Cabell's personal attitude towards slavery. At UVA's Special Collections Library, there are hundreds of handwritten letters between Joseph Cabell and his family and friends. Looking through the withered and yellowing sheets, it is clear that Cabell lived according to these values. February 12, 1811. Joseph Cabell's mother, Hannah, wrote to him about her search for enslaved laborers. While she had already purchased an 11-year-old child, she wrote, 
I still want a lad about 16, one for a carriage driver. $400 is as far as I can go with propriety. Like his mother, Joseph Cabell also wrote to others in search for more enslaved laborers for his plantation at Edgewood. In a letter to John Cock on June 10, 1816, Cabell wrote, Do not be hasty in the selection, but take time. The money will be ready on demand, the arrangements in that respect being made already. Cock's name adorns the building just next to Cabell Hall. Abraham, Quintilian, Will, Cato, Becky, these are just a few of the names mentioned in the letters. These are the names of enslaved laborers bought, sold, and used by Joseph Cabell and his associates. Cato's name can be found on the memorial to enslaved laborers. I'm here in front of Alderman Library, which has now been turned into a massive construction site. Even though it's out of commission, there's still a lot of commotion around this building. This used to be one of the most popular study spaces for students because of its quiet atmosphere and vintage feel. Have you spent any time in Alderman Library when it was open? Yeah, I would go there pretty often first year. Yeah, I did. I would spend a lot of time studying there um, my first and second year. And do you know anything about Alderman himself? I assume that he is an older white male from a while back. That's about all I know. I'm pretty sure he was a eugenicist. The name Alderman is one that almost every UVA student recognizes. Alderman Dorms, Alderman Road, and Alderman Library all carry the name. But most people probably couldn't tell you anything about the man himself. Edwin Alderman was the first president of the university between 1905 and 1931. He is well known for his contributions to education, but he was also an avid supporter of eugenics. This was the belief in the selective reproduction of humans based on certain traits. Eugenics has since been rejected as a false ideology that was often used to justify and validate racism. UVA was home to many prominent eugenicists in the 20th century, and Alderman was someone who enthusiastically encouraged these ideas. Social equality and political control would mean deterioration of the advanced group. This is a quote from Edwin Alderman during an address he gave in 1903. His values and beliefs are very much at odds with what the university claims to be today. At a time when the library is undergoing such major construction, it seems like now would be the perfect time to reconsider Alderman's namesake at the university. We talked to the Dean of Libraries at UVA, Dr. John Unsworth, who informed us that a name change for Alderman is currently being considered by the university administration, but there are no definite plans at the moment. From Alderman, I walked a few minutes to arrive at the Memorial to Enslaved Laborers. It's a massive circular granite structure that peaks at eight feet tall. Hundreds of students pass by here every hour on their way to class or the corner, 
which is a restaurant and nightlife district adjacent to the university. The dark gray walls of the structure are gouged by thousands of memory marks, which are small incisions into the stone to represent laborers who built Thomas Jefferson's vision in the early days of UVA. Only 973 marks are accompanied by names or designations. The rest are placeholders for enslaved laborers whose names are still unknown. In front of me, I see Billy, Charlotte, friend, brick mason, and cousin. The center of the memorial has a small sewn circle with a grass center. Water flows around the edges of this area over top of a timeline that details some significant dates in the history of slavery at UVA. Eighteen seventeen, ten enslaved people begin to clear the land that will become UVA. Eighteen twenty-two, Fleming runs away. He is captured a mile. Eighteen twenty-seven, Prudence cleans bloody linens. Eighteen thirty-two, three professors purchase Lewis Commodore. They are later reimbursed, and he becomes UVA property. Eighteen thirty-eight, two students savagely beat an enslaved man named. Cleans up after cadaver dissections and is forced to rob graves. Eighteen fifty-six, an enslaved eleven-year-old girl is beaten unconscious by a UVA student. Eighteen sixty-one. Virginia secedes from the Union. Nearly 1,000 enslaved local African Americans are forced by... 1865. UVA in September begins to pay wages to those formerly enslaved. 1866. Isabella Gibbons, formerly enslaved at UVA, teaches at a Freedman's school in Charlottesville. It will become the Jefferson School. If you were an observer at the memorial watching students pass by, you probably wouldn't see any of them enter the structure. When they do, it's often only for a short time. In contrast, students will spend hours at Cabell Hall, Alderman Library, and the lawn. And they have to. For classes, project meetings, study spots, all the things that comprise life as a student. But students don't have to go to the MEL. Some students don't even know that it exists. More often than not, we as students will acknowledge Alderman and Cabell rather than the MEL. We remember the names of the oppressors rather than the names of those they oppressed. Because of this, we are upholding the dark past of the university rather than paving the way for a better future. I came to UVA from California knowing almost nothing about the university's history or that of the surrounding community of Charlottesville. In my four years here, the type of information I've received about the school's troubled past has become known to me in bits and pieces, usually from fellow students. The way that information is passed around in hushed voices on campus makes it feel like somewhat of a secret, like something that could destroy someone's reputation. I've spent countless hours at each of these buildings, without knowing anything about the person behind the name, and I feel guilty for that. And I know I'm not alone in that sentiment. So many black lives suffered at the hands of these men, and yet their names are still acknowledged in conversation every single day among UVA students and faculty. The fact that these names still exist in the same space as the memorial seems to distract from the recognition that the names on the memorial deserve. Eugenicists, plantation owners, white supremacists. These are the people who have defined UVA's past and continue to have a negative impact today. 
Only a handful of buildings have been named after the people who helped shape the university into a more equitable and diverse institution. Gibbons House, Ridley Hall, and Skipwith Hall are just some of these names that have only been established after 2015, even though UVA has been operating for over 200 years. The Naming and Memorials Committee is a group at UVA who researches and discusses the relationship between university structures and the university's proclaimed values. They're aiming to bridge the gap between the two through the construction of memorials and the renaming of buildings. The committee is currently tackling a couple issues. For one, they are considering a name change for Alderman Library to prepare for its reopening after construction. They also made the decision to modify a memorial to a Confederate soldier named Frank Hume that sits in the center of the campus. It will be replaced with blocks of contrasting color and officially renamed to the Whispering Wall, which is what it has been informally called for years. While these issues are crucial to tackle, change is a slow process. Right now, the buildings named after problematic men leave a physical mark on our campus that prevents progress. Although some people might like to say that UVA has moved forward from its troubled past, the reality is that we can't improve until we fully address what's already been done. It's time to redefine the spaces we inhabit so that they reflect our beliefs. For too long, the lives and histories of Alderman, Cabell, and many more have been all around us, living on in our conversations. We must see these names for what they are, oppressors hidden in plain sight. This podcast was produced by Ashley Thompson, Erica Cummings, Annie Chow, and August Lamb as a part of a collaborative project for Professor Steph Sarasso's Writing with Sound class at UVA. Special thanks go out to University of Virginia Special Collections librarians Crystal Oppia and Sherry Lynn Brown, UVA Descendant Project Researcher Dr. Shelley Murphy, Dean of Libraries Dr. John Unsworth, Multimedia Specialist Fong Yi, and Multimedia Producer Roberto Armagall. A full list of audio and textual sources used in the production of this podcast can be found in the transcript associated with this episode. Thanks for listening.